0: I'm Judy Holzman, and I'm very happy to be with you for Lesson 2 of Matthew's Gospel. Chapters 3 and 4 of today's lesson center on the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. In chapter 5, we hear Jesus teach the ways and rewards of righteousness, broadening the law of Moses. He teaches us what the kingdom of God should look like and what we as disciples should be doing. These ideals might seem impossible to us. It helps that in the rest of Matthew's Gospel, we see Jesus personify these values. John the Baptist is reluctant to baptize Jesus, but he does it so that all will be done according to the will of God. After the baptism, God the Father appears, confirming Jesus' identity by calling him, my beloved son. Jesus hears the words all children want to hear. I love you and I'm so proud of you." After this powerful experience, Jesus goes alone into the solitude of the desert to prepare to begin his public ministry. At the end of a symbolic 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, Jesus is hungry, a sure sign he is human like us. He is not immune to the unhealthy temptations of his society. Not surprisingly, then, temptation is part of Jesus' preparation, and his tempter is skillful. He begins his taunts by saying, if you are the Son of God, and then more or less says, why not just test this godly power? Take some shortcuts. The devil tempts Jesus with food, health and safety, and new kingdoms. This last temptation really caught my attention. After all, kingdom can be a symbol for desires of all kinds. I imagined myself in this scene as the devil made his attractive offers, and I began to think about how many times I have wished things were different in my life. I have held on to some of these notions for decades. Try to imagine now the ways you may, be, you may have wanted life to be different. Maybe you crave things you've never gotten or achieved, more recognition, a different job, a better education. Maybe you long for the way your life used to be, or better health for yourself or your children. What kind of kingdom would you be tempted to ask for or accept? Notice that Jesus responds to each of the devil's temptations by quoting scripture. The sacred words of his Jewish tradition we now know as the Old Testament. The scriptures will guide his life as they have before. This response expresses the gratitude Jesus owes to his Father for what is best in his life right now. It's always an illusion to dwell on what we could have had or could have been. Jesus stays in the present reality and the devil goes away. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in The Cost of Discipleship, calls solitude the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, he says, we remain victims of our society and its unhealthy lures. Jesus went through the furnace of solitude and was tempted. He let the Spirit of God lead him, and he did not fail. Jesus is our model for doing whatever it takes to become mature Christians. God may have called St. Paul with a dramatic voice from the sky, but the call of the first disciples in Galilee is not showy. Jesus simply speaks a few words to four fishermen at work. The drama or the surprise comes in the way the men respond, which to me is almost unbelievable. The men probably knew of John the Baptist and, and even Jesus, but still, Surely they asked Jesus some questions like, how long will we be gone? Or, can I bring my family? Practical things like that. And surely Jesus had to cajole them at least a little. But Jesus' authority and mysterious power are clearly at work because Peter, Andrew, James, and John immediately leave their boats to follow Jesus. Ronald Withrup, in his commentary on Matthew's Gospel, finds three teaching points in these few verses. First, Jesus initiates the call. The men must have been in the habit of listening to God and waiting for His Word. They give a good example for us, to be attuned to God's call, even when it's sudden or seems foolish. Second, Jesus calls His disciples while they are in the middle of an ordinary workday. There's no dramatic setting or a lot of preparation, and no special skills are needed. The only thing necessary is an immediate and unquestioning response. And the third point seems the most impossible to accept. The call of Jesus demands leaving all that is familiar. The four men left their business, their income, their hometown, and their families. This third point offers us a lot to reflect on. What have we been called to abandon? As I thought about this, I realized in my effort to be a true disciple, my biggest challenge has been to let go of interior possessions. I mean, unhealthy ways of thinking and acting, harmful attitudes, especially fear, incorrect perceptions of myself, of others, and of situations. Although I know clearly that they are not good for me or for those around me, and that they move me away from God, these interior attitudes are familiar, and the risk of letting them go scares me. Jesus says to us, come, follow me, just as he said to the fishermen. And our call requires the same kind of response. Sometimes we respond as well as these four men did, sometimes not. Remember though, we're given chances to respond daily, even hourly, to leave the familiar and take the path where Jesus leads. I can still remember the comfort I felt when I heard the gospel proclaimed at my father's funeral in 1990. Yes, we had chosen the Beatitudes from Matthew's gospel. Hearing those words helped me focus on how Daddy had lived his life. I even remember smiling as I listened. The Beatitudes may be the most familiar and the most loved of the Christian scriptures. There is enough commentary written to devote an entire study to them. The Beatitudes, and really all of chapter 5, encompass a straightforward message I took to heart a long time ago that is that to be authentic Christians we must be in the habit of bucking today's culture we must choose to be and think differently keep in mind that the Beatitudes are not just hopes or prophecies these phrases in the Hebrew language describe an exclamation of what actually exists now it would not be incorrect to replace blessed are you with congratulations to you. The blessing here means serene joy and untouchable joy. Let's single out two Beatitudes, the first and the fifth. First, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. More so than economic poverty, poor in spirit means an attitude of radical dependence on God alone. Mary, the mother of God, best models this beatitude for us. Mary would have been considered one of the onelum, the penniless widows, orphans, or sick of Israel. The word onelum means bowed down. Mary and others like her lived in peaceful dependence on God, At this time in history, after centuries of waiting for the Messiah, they kept alive the belief that Yahweh would fulfill His ancient promises. In the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, when Mary is asked to be the mother of God, her reply is consistent with her life. She surrenders to God's new plan for her, even though she cannot understand it. It is hard to be poor in spirit, when we have the necessities of life and often much more. Being poor in spirit means that we won't be defined or controlled by possessions or status. That's not easy. Possessions and money can make us feel secure and can keep us isolated among safe people. God's infinite love is much harder to grasp and trust. One sign of being poor in spirit to me is that we make it a point to notice when others are very needy. We can best do that if we are willing to be with people who are different from us, different in race, in status, or in circumstance, especially people that society overlooks or fears. I remember as a child visiting in homes that few other people did and we were taught explicitly by our parents to respect all races. My mother was a great example. After she was dead, a friend of hers told me how much my mother had helped her when the friend was a young widow with three children. Evidently, this woman had had a very hard time grieving, and my mother was the one who stuck with her through the pain. My mother involved herself with needy people till the end of her life. She served as driver for a woman younger than she who seemed always to have problems and who called her often for rides. The last few years my mother lived at home. She made friends with a woman who had a job as a maid nearby. And this woman stopped by and visited every evening as she walked home and she always carrying a big bag of stuff with her. Before long, the friend had rearranged my mother's living room furniture more to her liking. My siblings and I would tell our mother that she should stop befriending these people and that she was being taken advantage of. She did not listen to us. I joke now that my mother was trying to be a beatitude person and her kids were trying to keep her from it. Little by little, being poor in spirit helps us to loosen our grip on the familiar and predictable, and to feel safe enough to depend solely on God's care. The fifth beatitude is, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Maybe you remember bumper stickers that read, peace is not the absence of war. This slogan uses a good translation of the Hebrew word for peace. When Jewish people wish one another peace, or shalom, in Hebrew, they are wishing for them much more than a peaceful life. Shalom means everything that contributes to a person's higher good. And children of God refers to people who do godlike work. This beatitude means we become like God when we work to establish right relationships with other people, close to us and worlds away from us. No group of people anywhere can be said to be at peace as long as they lack human freedoms, enough food, medical care, education, or other necessities. To be a peacemaker, means to face these monumental problems squarely and to restore peace, all that would contribute to a person's higher good. How in the world will we do that? We desperately need peacemakers out in the wider world where peacemaking is so very complicated. But you and I can start small in our homes or workplaces Gossip, criticism, and arguing all disturb the peace. It takes a lot of tolerance and humility, not to mention prayer, to opt out of these familiar ways of relating to others and to work to maintain peaceful, respectful relationships instead. In his life and in his death, Jesus is the one who said, Evil stops here. Blessed are we when we are able to say the same. Tucked into chapter 5 are four simple verses comparing disciples to salt of the earth and light of the world. I love this little section, so I was glad to dig into it a little. In the days of Jesus, salt was an absolute necessity. It was probably the only way to add flavor to food or to preserve food. Salt was also used for cleaning and disinfecting and as a component of ceremonial offerings. Even today, it's a great compliment to refer to someone as the salt of the earth. Jesus is telling his disciples that they are valued as highly as anything the earth possesses. They are necessary to preserve life and to bring a spark of flavor and enthusiasm to it. We might ask ourselves every night, would anyone have had a reason to call me a salt-of-the-earth person today? Jesus says disciples are also the light of the world. Their fire and warmth offer hope to lives that appear hopeless. Their light is always visible. Jesus makes it clear that as disciples, we are required to influence the world. If we don't stand up and be counted, discipleship will fail. Chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 comprise another legendary section of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus unveils his fresh understanding of the ancient Mosaic law. Matthew's readers know the law and the scriptures of the ages, but it takes Jesus and his authoritative teaching to propel the letter of the law to the perfection of that law. In six examples, Jesus states commandments, then shows a fuller, more mature understanding of each. Jesus states the external act first, then teaches the interior disposition needed to rightly obey that law. It's a little like Jesus saying, here's what you've heard all these years, but for your, your own good, I want you to know there is much more to it. Your God demands more. The late Father John McKenzie wrote this, Morality is not the avoidance of prohibited acts, but the desire to do what is right. Jesus spoke in strong, challenging language as he interpreted the law in very unconventional ways. Maybe that's the reason that these verses have sometimes been treated as exaggerated statements of an impossible moral ideal. It's tempting to look at them that way, and maybe you have. But what Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 48, also seems impossible. He says, be perfect. The word perfect here, both in Greek and in Hebrew, means mature. Surely Jesus will allow us as much time as we need to achieve that. I hope you feel an ongoing desire to learn more when you participate in Little Rock Scripture Study. This particular lesson sounds the gospel call to social justice. Through the centuries, Catholic social teaching has been strong and consistent and sometimes controversial. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops regularly publishes teachings on social justice concerns and oversees committees that work on them. The Bishops' Conference addresses abortion, euthanasia, the death penalty, all of which threaten the life and dignity of the human person. They look at our society, especially as it affects the vulnerable. They have taken stands on protecting workers and how we should be living as citizens of a global society. They address protecting the environment and other issues as well. In all of this, the Beatitudes implicitly guide their efforts. The bishops write this, Central to our identity as Catholics is that we are called to be leaven for transforming the world. Agents for bringing about a kingdom of love and justice. Jesus used similar words in Matthew's Gospel to bring home that same point to us. You might want to supplement your understanding of this lesson with some extra study on your own. Learn more about Catholic social justice principles. Read, ask questions, and talk with others. I sincerely believe this effort will strengthen a commitment to live as Beatitude people.